You're listening to a Radio 191 FM podcast. Hi guys, welcome to our second episode of Does This Count as Study? You're with your hosts, Henry and Kate. And today we are joined by Otago Professor Dr. Anna Garden, an all-round genuine character. We dive into computational chemistry and Anna helps us learn the world's secrets at an atomic level. Finally, we discuss how chemistry could help contribute to solutions of climate change. So sit back, relax, grab a tea, and we hope you enjoy. Cheers. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Does This Count as Study? Um, we have the same host as last week, Henry Hollis. And Kate Pitches. And today we're joined with Anna Garden. Welcome, Anna. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Um, so you're a chemistry professor, a great one, one of mine. Um, would you like to give us a background on how you got into chemistry and how you started working at Otago Uni? Sure. Um, well, I should disclaim I'm not a full professor, but thanks for the promotion. I'll take it anyway. <laughs> um, I am a lecturer here. Um, so I came to Otago as an undergrad, so I grew up in Southland, and the logical thing to do when you finish school in Southland is just to go to Dunedin, it's the big city. Um, and I studied chemistry and physics as an undergrad here. Um, and then at the end of my undergrad degree, I was like, oh, you know what, I want to go traveling. So maybe I'll take some time off and go traveling. And at that point, I was working with one of the lecturers on what's called an honors project. So it's a little research project you do at the end of bachelor. And he said, well, if you want to travel, um, you can do a PhD you can continue to study, but you'll get some overseas traveling experience as well. So that's what yeah. I did. Yeah. So you traveled working for a PhD? Yeah. Yeah. Where did really you go? Cool. Um, I went to Denmark um, three times, actually, strangely. But it was, yeah, it was super fun. We went there for a workshop. Then I went there for a lab visit with some other professors over there and then back again. I can't even remember the third reason <laughs> why. But, yeah, it was really cool. So I'd never really considered going into research as such. It was basically the opportunities came up. I kept studying what I was looking at in my honours degree to the PhD and sort of didn't really look back entirely. So, yeah, finished up here, went and did a fellowship in Iceland. So after, yeah, after PhD, worked over there for a while. Someone here at Otago retired at the right time, so there was a job vacancy and I put my hand up and got the job. That's oh, my God. Yeah. What was the original um, PhD in Denmark on? Yeah, so I was looking at, um, so I do computational chemistry, so it's all computer modelling rather than being in a lab. Wait, what is computational <laughs> chemistry? <laughs> Great question. So chemistry is usually like taking flask of things and mixing them together and making new things. So computational chemistry is absolutely not that. It's all simulations. So rather than making observations of what happens when we mix them together, we rather sort of um, write little programs, click and make little pictures of our atoms and molecules, and then we run programs with like mathematical equations that tell us about the chemical properties of those systems without having to do the experiments themselves. Okay. So it sounds, I think at first glance, a little bit esoteric, or like why wouldn't you just do the experiment, right? But there's some good reasons why you want to. Sometimes when you have like a chemistry flask or an experiment, there's so many things going on in there that it's really hard to understand just why one molecule was turned into another one, say. But if we do it all in a simulation, we can kind of look at all of the little bits individually to get an understanding about what's really governing the reactivity or what's causing the things that we see in the lab. So I really like that. I'm clumsy as anything. I hate being in the lab, but I really like kind of looking at trying to figure out just what's going on on those tiny, tiny molecular level um, systems. 
I may be a little biased, but um, <laughs> I'm, it's the, the real kind of chemistry. It's the proper chemistry. Yeah, <laughs> Type of chemistry. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, and it sits on the bridge between physics and chem, and it's really like trying to understand just what's going on rather than just making new things, which, don't get me wrong, is incredibly important and difficult. But um, it just wasn't really what interested me but as well. So what kind of work were you doing in Denmark and then later on in Iceland? Was it computational chemistry? It was, yes. So what I was looking at for my PhD is we were modelling how some of the species in the atmosphere would interact with radiation. So like we've we've reacted with um, the heat that's coming back off the Earth. So this is important for um, greenhouse gases and for global warming. Um, and the reason why we looked at these with computer modelling is basically there's some few things in the atmosphere that are really important in the radiation that they absorb, but they look very similar to a whole lot of other things in the atmosphere. So to make a measurement of them is really hard because they look pretty much the same as everything else that's in there. So you can actually isolate them with models and figure out just how much they're contributing to global warming, to global things like that. Yes. So did you come to any conclusions on... Good, bad. Good, bad. Otherwise, <laughs> um, we we studied basically the one thing for the whole four years I was doing my PhD, and we found that it probably is important um, for in terms of quantifying um, the greenhouse effect. But then we kind of leave it up to the larger scale models. So we basically said, this, these are our signatures. This is what it's doing. Now you can feed those into your models. Like the, the different good. molecules yep. are doing? Yep, okay, exactly. But then you have to put those in the bigger large-scale, full-on climate models. Well, this, you kind of answered this before, but what area of chemistry is your favourite? Yeah. My favourite is physical chemistry, so really figuring out what the atoms and molecules are doing. That, to me, is the really cool bit. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to really think about things that are so tiny but make up a part of everything. How small do you go? Do you go, like... Um, do you ever look at things it's below, um, like protons and? Uh, we don't know. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. So when you we we sort of stop at the nucleus, stop at the protons and neutrons. Um, but yeah, if you you can go smaller than that, you throw out of things called quarks and yeah. Yeah. neurons, gluons, all of these kind of things. That's crazy interesting, but that's absolutely going into physics. Yeah, I've seen a machine yeah. to um, to actually like look and analyze those, and they biggest of the room. It's amazing. And yeah. like crazy. All those like particle accelerators that they're using to detect like Higgs bosons and make new atoms and all of that kind of thing. It's, yeah, atoms. it's madness. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so you said, we were talking a little bit before about how you've used computational chemistry. Yep. How have you used it in your career so far? So yep. when you were in Denmark, going to Iceland, yep. coming back here, teaching. Yep. So I've got, um, I became more and more interested kind of in the environmental aspect of things as well. Obviously, I haven't got a taste of that in my PhD. And so what I've kind of segued into now through my fellowship in Iceland and my career now is um, in material science and looking at how we can use computational chemistry to design new materials that can do really important things for us. Like one of the things that we're looking at is trying to find materials that we can use to make hydrogen gas um, so that we could use these for like alternative fuels, um, that kind of thing, or like some materials that we can use to clean up some of the nitrate in the environment. Um, so that's sort of where my, my focus has shifted a bit more. Um, basically, computers are getting better and better, so we can simulate bigger and bigger things. So actually looking at some kind of big and pretty cool materials is actually possible. Oh, that's real interesting. We're talking before about Henry and I are both quite interested in researching new ways to create energy, primarily well, we're talking about hydrogen before. Yeah, hydrogen, they've got biofuels. Yeah. 
Um, well, most things renewable, but those are the two quite um, chemistry-based yeah. ones. What do you reckon the future is Ooh. for chemistry-based energy? Yeah, good question. Energy? Um, I think this is more of an opinion than anything else. I think we, we had a really good run with fossil fuels, right? We had this one thing, one chemical that could do it all for us, right? It could be petrol, it could be coal, it could like power all of these things. I don't think we're going to find that, the one material that replaces like coal and oil. But I think there's going to be different fuels are going to be better suited to different types of um, purposes. Like there'll be some where you want to, like if it's say powering aircraft, mm. then maybe you can carry a big volume of fuel, but the mass, you don't want it to be heavy. So in that situation, something like hydrogen gas could be a good solution. I actually learned about yeah. this. Um, the transport yeah. fuels for both cars and for airplanes, biofuels are the most effective and sustainable. Yeah. And um, it's better than electricity. Yeah. And that's what we have at the moment. Electricity right now is actually not great because they're inventing lithium batteries exactly. and they have to be dumped and, yeah. Yeah, you've got to mine a finite resource to get the lithium yeah. to make the batteries, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's what I think. I don't think we're going to find this one thing that replaces everything. I think we're going to have to have lithium batteries for some things, but we're not going to be able to just roll that out yeah. in every situation. Um, like some other things will be like, so like bio, biofuels, if you take carbon dioxide, you can use that, turn it into fuels, which is sometimes called biofuels. You can either do it through, like plants do this, basically, um, or you can do it through a man-made type thing. But that would be really good if you had like a factory that was emitting heaps of CO2 and you could just grab that CO2 right at the source and convert that into Reuse fuels it. and use it there. Yeah. Uh, and also saves so, the environment and the emissions. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think each application will kind of find its little niche and we need to keep researching like a lot of these different fields rather than just being like oh well hydrogen's that's rubbish let's give up on that and try something else i think we've got to kind of push all of these along for our audience listening that are maybe following along they're like what is hydrogen fuel or what is this would you mind giving a brief explanation of what is hydrogen powered fuel yeah so it's basically so what a fuel is is something that just stores energy and it does it in chemical bonds so if we have this little thing that can store energy we can burn it and we get that energy back out that we can power all of that stuff with. so usually petrol does this we burn it release a lot of energy in our cows go but as it turns out if you burn that our hydrogen bond there's a heap of energy in that h2 bond mm. that you can get back out but when you burn it you only get water out at the end so the idea is that you still get the energy you still got a fuel that you can carry around with you but when you burn it you don't get the nasty side effects like you do for burning petrol. Seems like a win-win if you can figure out how to... I mean, the problems with it are that it's pretty light, right? Hydrogen gas is super light, which means it's kind of like big and puffy and it's hard to store. So there's a lot of work going on. How do you actually store a big volume of hydrogen so that you can carry it around with you and use it? So that's one of the issues. Um, the other issue is actually how do you make hydrogen gas? Because it sounds great if we had it, we could use it, but how do you get it in the first place? And the most common way of getting hydrogen is actually from methane, which is uh, itself a greenhouse gas. Yeah. So it currently, that's where most of the hydrogen comes so from. So that could be used in a good way, though, because you could take the methane yep. reduced. Yeah. You could sort of, oh, I'd say indoor cow farming, but that's <laughs> pretty <laughs> unethical yeah, yeah, exactly. to begin that, with. It touches on some other things there, yeah. But that, if it was harnessed and if it was done, yep. um, Safely with cows, yeah. that could be a, a big yeah, absolutely positive. And, yeah, and then if you could get the hydrogen, and then you could get the carbon dioxide that processes as well, you can sort of close the loop 
that means farms would be turned into um, an energy supply as well as a yeah food supply. That's that's a that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I think there's heaps of cool stuff going on and ideas about like a circular economy you might have heard about, which yeah. is basically like closing the loop on all of our processes so that we're not um, wasting at any point. Yeah. Basically. It's pretty cool. My mum told me one time in the 17th century, I think, they almost had a closed circular economy. Yeah. Do you know yeah. Apparently they even had people that would like pick up dog poo because they would go and sell it for leather. I heard about this and there'd just be like a truck driving through town and people would buy the poo and use it. Yeah. And we're like so far from that now with chucking out plastic bottles willy-nilly and spent lithium batteries and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, damn, we're so close. <laughs> yeah, I know. We had it all and we ruined it. <laughs> Theoretically, um, New Zealand is the most sustainable source we have as biofuels, mm-hmm. especially for transport, but also for other things. Other things like um, powering house, it was probably better to do with renewable like hydropower, yep. um, solar power. But um, the nature we have and or like the trees is are really efficient to make biofuels. Ooh. Do you have an opinion on like if that's a good thing or a bad thing using our nature to create it? It's, it's such a good question because I think so many scientific developments always come with this kind of a question, right? Mm-hmm. Is that this is a really cool scientific thing that we could do, but what's the trade-off or what's the moral ethical? decision? What's the ethical decision we have to make with it? So, um, in short, I don't really know. I think. Probably to a limited extent, yes, do it, right? I think there's a lot of processes that we do in the world that if we did them on a smaller scale, everything would be okay. Mm. But we have this tendency just to go mad and like, you know, like corn farms all over America or like way too intensive dairy farms. Or So I think any of these kind of technologies themselves are fine and useful as part of the problem if they're kept under control by carefully considering the ethics and everything else that comes along with them. Um, and I think that's becoming more and more important with science is making sure somebody, the scientists themselves, the policymakers, someone thinks about what are the implications of this discovery or this technology. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. None of this is an easy question, but it's pretty cool to think about, I think. Yeah. Anything's possible. It's just... Should you? It's just yeah. should it be possible. Yeah, exactly. so, I grapple with, yeah, like biofuels and stuff. Yeah, like we're talking about kind of manipulating... A plant to produce more algae, fuel. particular. Oh yeah, algae. Yeah, algae. Yeah. Have you have you heard of that? Only yeah. very briefly. That's because you can basically mass produce algae in tanks because you can give them the right amount of um, nutrients and um, light and all that, and they can grow super fast and they turn that into biofuels. Yeah. But that again will have its ups and downs. Yeah. 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 But then I think if some of these can be done on a small local scale, then awesome because then it's not going to take over and totally ruin ecosystems. It's going to help for, like, local economies and stuff like that as well. So Yeah, like yeah. you said, you can. it's not just one fuel, no. one energy source. We can have yeah, multiple many different, different ones, and, but not bad yeah. ones. Not bad not ones. Bad ones. No, we'd rather not, not just ones. burn coal. Yeah. Uh, Nuclear is a bit of a um, sore spot here, so yeah, yeah. we'll stick to the good ones. If we go from from the issues yep. of the world back to your yep. accomplishments and what you've yeah. been achieving so far in your career. Yep. What do you think your proudest moment of work has been to date mm. and how did you accomplish it? I don't know if, if this is the answer that you want to hear, but literally my proudest moment in my career was like two weeks ago. Um, my Tell very us. first ever PhD student, his name is Jeffrey Wheel, he's fantastic, he turned in his PhD thesis. Um, and that was the first one that I'd come through, and I know it wasn't my achievement, but 
to me, this is like, this is our role here. Like our role is to do science and our role is to teach undergrad classes. But an amazing part of it is to work with these PhD master students, like do the research with them and watch them just become these like amazing humans with awesome mm. science ideas and just grow and be wicked. Yeah. And Jeff is like, he came in my group and was kind of wide eyed. Um, he's come out the other side, knows way more than I do. Um, he's an awesome colleague. He's become my friend. It's yeah. It's yeah. amazing. It's so much fun. Yeah. Aww. Congratulations, Jeff. Yeah, great one, <laughs> Jeff. Can you hear this? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is actually quite heartwarming. I yeah. think that this is so important, like what you're saying about how, as scientists, yeah, it's important to do the work and to make these discoveries, but yeah. you've got to bring people along in the journey, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's one of the coolest things about working at a university, I think, compared to like a like a research institute or something. I think. You get all of these fabulous young minds like you guys that we get to work with. Is the other yeah. side of uni? Not many students. A lot of students do know about yeah. what goes on, all the research yeah. um, and the PhD students and the masters. But like coming into, I was talking to a first year health psych kid the other day, <laughs> the classic, yeah. and they were talking about how like they were super excited to get good grades and all that. But um, and I, I think I was talking to them about um, um, someone I knew who was doing their masters <laughs> in physics and. They were like they were blown away and didn't realise that any of that was actually happening at the union. Yeah. They were just like, get into health sci, get good grades. Yeah. Do the courses, do yeah. the matches, get out. Yeah. yeah. I think one thing that students often don't realise as well is that a lot of departments and divisions have the opportunities to do summer research scholarships. So even by the end of your second year mm. or third year, you can be eligible to apply for these. And it's basically, okay, the pay is terrible. Like you get paid <laughs> for ten weeks in the summer to basically be part of a research group and work on a project and see if you like it. And mm-hmm. You're an oh, assistant, right, when you do it? Or you... Yeah, your role varies. <laughs> you might end yeah, up at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> picking up after other projects. But usually what you'll be is like sort of working with one of the senior like PhD students, helping them out with their project. So it's... Yeah, it's and the amount fun. you learn. Yeah, yeah, you learn heaps. You get to experience what it's like. And it's, yeah, it's not just attending classes and turning on your assignments and trying to get the good grades. Ooh, yeah, there you fun. go. If anyone's listening to this and you're like, oh my God, what can I do this summer? Yep. Student summerships. Yep. Look yeah. into it. Yep. Oh, it's actually a real interesting question. Um, <laughs> we did write them. <laughs> what, do you, <laughs> um, what do you think the human's greatest chemistry related discovery has been today? Ooh, there's a lot. There, there's quite a, a few. Um, or do do a recent one. What do you reckon the oh, recent one people not many people may know about? A recent one that everyone knows about COVID vaccine. Well, that's true. Mm. Massive um, development of vaccines in general is huge. Um, being able to like eradicate polio and control measles outbreaks and things that's massive. Um, things like penicillin was a massive one. The discovery of penicillin. So this was the first time that you could actually treat bacterial infections effectively, um, and people don't die anymore from simple bacterial infections because now we've got antibiotics based on penicillin so that's huge mm-hmm. um there's so many one of them i guess this kind of touches a little bit on the idea about always having to weigh up the good and the bad is so the development of what's called the harbour bosch process so this is um taking nitrogen and hydrogen to make ammonia um it's like one of the biggest industrial processes in the world at the moment because the ammonia is used to make fertilizer and the fertilizer then feeds people, allows us to grow plants. So, like, basically, since this process came in, like, 100 years ago, the population of the world has just, like, boomed because now we can, like, feed so many more people, which 
on one hand, is fantastic, of course, because now fewer people are going hungry. But on the other hand, now we've just, again, gone too far with this. We're overusing fertilizers, which is having environmental effects. There's perhaps arguments to make about how much population the world can actually mm-hmm. sustain as well. But I think that's been a really key one in actually feeding people. But and it also nicely illustrates that flip side we we're talking about, that you've always got to think about, you know, whenever you implement something, what, what are the following effects? Yeah. You have to have a long-term long term plan, yeah. Effects. Yeah. 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 Or boundaries or anything. Yeah, because yeah, we've looked at your papers that you've done. You've done quite a lot as well. We were <laughs> yep. pretty freaking impressed, like scrolling. We're like, oh, my yep. God. Um, yeah, and we saw that you did one on reactive nitrogen, which yep. is kind of touching on what we just talked about. So why would you want to reduce nitrate? Like, What is the issue with nitrogen in soils? Yes, so basically, yeah, this occurs because we're using too much fertilizer. The result um, of that is that we get way too much of, of nitrogen. We call it reactive nitrogen because it's not like the nitrogen that's kicking around in the air, which doesn't really do much. It's the stuff that's going on to form other things. So but it's really bad in the environment. It can cause, when you have too much nitrate in like waterways, you can cause algal blooms which um, happen and then you get the health of the water suffers. You can get all your sort of marine organisms. If you have an algal bloom, you think about you've got a waterway and then you've got this big blanket of algae. Then you think about everything that lives below that, not being able to get the sunlight, not being able to power, not being able to like create as it normally would. Um, So that's one of the issues. There's, There's other issues. It's also toxic to humans if you drink too much nitrate. It can cause cancer and things like this. But that's one of the big things with the waterways is just algae go mad, sort of put a wee blanket on on the water and then things so, can't get oxygen, they can't get sunlight. Um, so your research was looking at how to reduce the algae blooms or reduce nitrate nitrate. Yeah, that causes the algal blooms. So okay. yeah, basically the algae will go, oh my God, this heaps of nitrate, amazing. That'll be really good for us to grow. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah, yum, yum, yum. And then we've got this problem. So we... What we're trying to do is figure out how to design a material that you could, in principle, like run some water over and it would take the nitrate in the water and turn it into something else better than nitrate. The problem is, if you do this, there's lots of things that could turn into that are arguably much worse than nitrate, so we don't want to do that. (laughs) We definitely don't want to make it worse, but what we're really trying to do is can we turn nitrate into molecular nitrogen, and that's like 78% of our air. It's breathable. It's so Um, super safe. Yeah. So that's ideally what we'd like to do. Did you manage to get anywhere? We're getting closer. Getting we're, closer? Well, we're getting closer to understanding it. Yeah. And then, so the first thing that we had to do, and we always have to do this, is you're like, well, this is what we want. So we have to figure out not only how to make the thing we want, but we need to understand how to make all the things that we don't want so we can design something that inhibits those oh. as well. So we kind of, have, we've understood like three of the things that we don't want. The latest paper we put out, we still didn't know how to get the thing that we wanted. But just in the last few months, we think maybe we've cracked the code that's governing, like, why the one that we want is so hard to to make, we think, maybe. So we're going to try to publish that and see if scientific community thinks it's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, they've been picked up, like, by companies if you actually do get it to work. Uh, well, it's a funny one. Probably they would get excited because when I got a research grant for this and after it got publicised... Then I got all these companies being like, hey, can we sell your thing? Please, can we have it? Yeah. Well, one, there is no thing because I haven't even got the money yet. And then two, we're a computational group. So we will sort of lay out the design principles and say this material should probably be able to do it, maybe. And then it has to go to like someone actually has to make the material, do all the experimental testing, undoubtedly find something that we hadn't 
thought of. Yeah, theory versus reality. Yeah, exactly. So it's like a long way down the steps. But yeah, whenever there's some kind of media release, there's a bunch of companies that come in and try to sell. Can we have the yeah? Yeah, it's quite awkward. Is this a worldwide issue? Like, are there other institutions that I don't know you could collab with, or that they have? issues with nitrogen in the soil. Definitely, yeah, there are definitely around the world. There are only two that I'm pretty close to are New Zealand and Iceland um, because they sure. used to work there as well. But also it's when it's a heavily agricultural economy, um, this is where our problems are coming in. So most of our nitrate comes in from using too much fertiliser, basically, which comes from relying on agriculture. And that's not to say agriculture itself is evil, but the way that it's being done is not sustainable for the health of our waterways at the moment. So, yeah. Next subject. Yes. Uh, we asked this last week, but it's one of my favorite mm-hmm. questions. If you have like unlimited money yeah. and you could go off and do research any of your ideas yeah. and with a team of people, what would you research? Ooh. That's a fabulous question. As much money as I wanted. Yeah. Money's not an issue. Doesn't have to be in chemistry, does book. Hmm. Doesn't have to be in physics, can be in. I mean, I think it's hard to like picture making like a sudden jump over to something else because like I kind of work in here because I've eventually figured out the knowledge. So if I were suddenly go, I'd like to work in high energy physics, I'd be walking in the door and they'd Day just one. say, get out, you're in danger here. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I think that's, I think the high energy physics and particle physics and stuff is super cool. Like, that's possibly something that I would be interested in, like working with those particle accelerators, like the Large Hadron Collider. What does that that mean? Oh, so it's basically, it's this big thing under the ground between the border between Switzerland and France, and it basically whizzes particles round and round and round and round in a big circle super fast, and then smashes them into other particles and sees what happens. So this is how people are trying to figure out about, like you might have heard of the Higgs boson, like trying to detect these subatomic particles um, to try to really understand crazy, super accurate physics, basically. Or like try to smash one atom into another to make new atoms or new elements that we maybe haven't seen before. like That was one of our other questions. Is yeah. How is it possible to make new atoms and how yeah. do you make new elements? Yeah, it is. Um, and that's sort of what these do. Basically, you take two... So to make new elements, if you want to go bigger and bigger and bigger, you basically have to take two atoms of one type and squash them together to make like a new atom with more bits and pieces in it than the existing atoms that we have. That's harder said than done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you think about it, you have these two atoms, they're kind of like little charges um, or even like little magnets, if you like. If you try to push together like little magnets with the same pole, it'll try to repel, right? So the only way you can do that is by like smashing them together as hard as you can. How big is the face? Because I'm about like... Like kilometres. Yeah. yeah. So like you were telling me underground, underground in yeah. Switzerland and France, yeah. there's just giant like collision yeah. I don't even know what I'm picturing, just like yeah. below there. I've never been in there. That's the thing. That's why this is maybe kind of like the fantasy area that I've had heaps of money. Maybe I'll go and have a look. But go yeah, explore it. It's pretty see cool. What they're doing. Yeah, just smashing, smashing things them together. together. And like maybe a periodic table of elements gets bigger and bigger. There's all these things that we don't know about yet. So yeah, you should get a physicist on your show and talk about um, particle physics. Yeah, yeah, I remember being in a lecture and they were talking about that thing. I don't know if they were talking about it personally. Yeah. But yeah, we should try. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool field, but that's yeah. maybe where I'd um, go and have a program. Um, otherwise, that's, that's a great hire, answer. Hire lots of cool other young people to <laughs> my group. Have a great party. Yeah, no target. Get a bigger, yeah, bigger team. Exactly. Um, 
I think that's us. Yep, we've got one last You want one last question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we've got one last question to finish off. Yep. Okay. So you're moving to Mars. Yeah. And you have already got, like, the basic stuff. So you got food, water, yep. yada, yada. You only have room for three eccentric items. Yep. What would you take? Three. Probably have to take my partner and my cat, right? That's no, two. definitely okay. Yeah, I'd be in trouble if I didn't. Yeah. Um, so it's one more. I reckon books and music are the things that, like, I couldn't really imagine being without, like – I'm not that I'm a musician or a huge reader, but I think if I could take like a Kindle with infinite books on it, maybe I'd have to take a guitar and learn how to play guitar better than I currently do something that, mm. like those things that are not essential, but like kind of make the nice, skill. nice yeah. edges like of life. What kind of yeah. music? Uh, what, what can I currently play or what would I listen to? <laughs> oh, what, <laughs> what, what can you play? I, I, like I, like um, I can't play anything well. Bad piano, bad guitar. That's um, where the stuff though. Those sorts of things, so. Mm. But maybe with maybe. plenty of time on Mars. Amazing musician or something like that. It'd probably sound different, wouldn't it? Sound waves. Hey, yeah. Um, probably. Yeah. It would. What would the guitar sound like on Mars? Well, if it's more, Ooh. less gravity, everything's moving slow, so it'll be yeah, a lot of pitch. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Someone should definitely take a guitar. We should. Yeah. We should yeah. That's Maybe that's pitch. where we can go. We can go <laughs> underground and then later yeah. on we can go to Mars and play the guitar. Exactly. There was actually, have you seen that? Um, the, 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 the dude in space yeah. that plays the guitar? No. Is it on the space, yeah. like NASA He lives alone in a yeah. space station. What? Yeah, and he was he's played like Space Odyssey by David Bowie yeah. while floating around in the spaceship. It's incredible. That's pretty cool. He Makes also, a music yeah. video. Is that a YouTube video? Yeah. Yeah. He also like does little videos to demonstrate what it's like when you cry in space or stuff Ooh. like that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, he has this lovely wee cover. Yeah, check it out. Space Maybe we'll link it in the description. We can, yeah. Maybe anyone listening to this wants to figure it out. <laughs> chuck, a, chuck a YouTube link in there. Nice. Cool. Well, um, I don't have much more to say. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> right, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a cool thing you guys are doing. And it's a cool thing you. behind what it. What you're doing. Yep. Uni. Yeah, thanks. And it was really enjoyable, like learning about even just yeah, like how you can go traveling with a PhD or with a, this kind of area in science and what computational modeling is the future of hydrogen powered or any type of powering the planet. Yeah, and like I think groovy like, topics. Yeah, and like when undergrads who are doing like first year now, like who knows what's going to be going on even in five years time. What research is going to be doing, what technology is going to be doing. Yeah. In chemistry and join Anna. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a yeah. plug. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> um, and follow our Instagram. That's where we're going to be posting most of the updates of when the episode's going to be, who they're going to be with, a brief summary and you just get to see cool photos of about faces and feedback if you enjoyed this episode if you didn't if you want to hear from a lecturer if you don't then let us know we would love to help out as many people as possible get informed about opportunities in science so flick us a dm if you know us in person come and talk to us like any engagement is what we want so Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you. We love you all. And you catch you next episode. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. 
You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast. <laughs>